Judges. We're starting in chapter 4. So after Ehud died, uh, the people turned away from the Lord again. And so the Lord allowed Jabin, king of Canaan, to uh, to take over and, and you know, control them. Con- con- you know, I don't know exactly if it was conquering, controlling, but basically they were ruled by a foreign power and a foreign god again. So he oppressed the sons of Israel for 20 years, and the people cried out to God. They, you know, same pattern. They turned away from God because they were blessed, and then once... Once they're facing the curse, they turn back to God and say, God, save us. And, and then God had mercy on them and uh, sent Deborah and Barak. And the story starts with Deborah. So Deborah is a prophetess, and she calls Barak to him and says, Go, take take some, some uh, men from Naphtali and Zebulun tribes and uh, go, and, and I will draw out uh, this this king and you will defeat him and Barak's a bit of a scaredy cat and he says I'll go if you go with me but I'm not gonna go without you and then she says if if I go with you then I'm gonna have the honor and you're not gonna have the honor which ends up being true because most people could not tell you there's a Barak in the Bible but Deborah of course is a famous uh, there's there's no Christians, I'm not aware of Jews, but maybe there are calling their sons Barak, but there's a lot of people calling their daughters Deborah. Barak's a more famous uh, name in Arabic, and uh, of course those languages are very similar, so a lot of the words are similar. I don't know who the famous Barak is in ancient Arabic, but uh, (laughs) that's a more famous Arabic name now than it is a Hebrew name. So Barak gathers the men, and uh, there comes a day when Deborah says, Okay, arise, the Lord has given Sisera, who's the commander of Jabin's armies, into your hands. And so the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots with all his army, which the chariots had really frightened the Israelites before. Um, And Sisera ran off on foot, and um, Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herasheth, Hagayim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. And there's a, a Kenite named uh, Heber, and uh, Kenites are the people of uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, that had settled with the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. And uh, Heber is one of them, and his wife is Jael, and they, they're they on good terms with uh, this oppressive people, and uh, the... Um, Sisera runs towards their house and she invites him in and says, I'll take care of you, don't worry, puts him under a rug so he feels safe and then she stabs him with a tent peg uh, through the rug. And the chapter ends with uh, Jabin. Uh, so Jabin's the king, Sisera was the commander of the armies, and Jabin wasn't in the battle, but it just kind of says that Jabin was subdued that day and then the hand of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. So a little vague there. But then we move on to chapter 5, which then they start to sing a song to commemorate what God has done. And I don't have too much to comment on the song. It's just pretty much the whole chapter. Um, although something stood out to me. Um, In the song, they're kind of slamming some of the tribes for not participating in the battle. Uh, But it says, for Zebulon, who did participate in the battle, Zebulon was a people who despised their lives even to death. 
So this becomes a uh, this you know something that that Jesus and the the New Testament preaches that you know we are not to love our life in this world but to lay it down to take up our cross in order to follow Him and so I find that interesting that it's mentioned here. And the song ends with the fact well maybe it's not the song anymore it's just the last part of the chapter. The land was undisturbed for 40 years, so they had 40 more years of peace after Deborah and Barak. And then we'll move on to the next chapter. So now in chapter 6, the, of, you know, the, the pattern repeats, and the, Lord, the people turn away from God. They do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord allows the Midians to conquer them, and they're in the hands of the Midians for seven years. And the Midianites were extremely uh, oppressive whenever the people would... Um, you know, they would grow crops. As soon as the crops were ready for harvest, the Midians would come down and they would bring the, uh, was it the Amalekites with them? And uh, they would steal all the crops and any animals they had, sheep, ox, or donkeys, they would steal those. So the people were poor and the people would hide in the mountains. And, um, you know, they just, they, uh, they were kept very low. Basically, you're scavengers if you can't, if you can't grow crops and you can't, have uh, animals then you're a scavenger maybe with only animals you can hide in a cave or something where they they don't find it Um, so the people were brought very low and they cried out to the Lord for help so the people are crying out to God and uh, God sends them a prophet doesn't say who he is but he comes and he says you know thus says the Lord uh, the God of Israel it was I who brought you up out of Egypt Uh, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not fear other gods of the Amorites, but you have not obeyed me. So he says, this situation you're living in is the consequence of your choosing to not live according to my way. And, but he's, again, he's going to have mercy. And so the angel of the Lord is is going to approach Gideon. So Gideon's hiding in the wine press, uh, beating out wheat in order to not be seen by the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appears to him. So he says to Gideon, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon is like, What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I'm not a warrior. I'm not valiant. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> what are you talking about? He says, If the Lord is with us, how is all this happening to us? You know, Where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? You know, the Lord, They said the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but all I see is we're stuck under the thumb of the Midianites. And then the Lord says to him, you go and deliver the people from the Midianites. That's your job. And Gideon says, again, what are you talking about? I'm, my family's the least in uh, Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. Why, why are you coming to me with this? And, you know, this whole thing is a good... It's a story repeated over and over in the Bible, and it, it speaks to all of us that God does not use the the powerful, the rich, the the strongest, the, the things that are impressive in man's eyes are not how God looks at it. God quite often chooses to use the weak, the humble, and even if uh, you're not weak and humble, he'll typically make you so <laughs> before he uses you. Um, but he, he he's not impressed. He doesn't need the power of people. Like, like Paul said, um, you know, I've asked the Lord to remove this thorn from my side, but he's, but God said, in your weakness, I, sorry, this is a terrible quote, job of trying to quote, but in your weakness is my strength, or, you know, I, I will make my strength great through your weakness. So 
God likes to demonstrate his glory and his power by using very imperfect vessels. And so Gideon doesn't realize all this. He just knows, man, I am nobody in the people of Israel. So what are you talking about? I'm the one. I'm sitting here hiding, trying to get a little wheat together so I can eat. And you're sitting here saying that I'm going to be the the next conqueror for Israel, basically the leader. Um, that doesn't make any sense, but that's exactly how God works. And God says, surely you will defeat Midian. And then, so Gideon starts testing God. And he says, if I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who speak with me. And do not depart from me until I come back to you and bring my offering and lay it before you. So the angel of the Lord says, I will remain until you return. So he, he goes and prepares an offering of, of food, a, a goat and, and some uh, flour and uh, broth from a pot. And the angel of the Lord touches a staff to it and the you know, flame consumes it. And so Gideon now sees, okay, this is, the, you know, you're the angel of the Lord. I've seen you face to face. The Lord says, don't worry, you're not going to die. And so Gideon builds an altar there. And apparently... Gideon's father has an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole beside it. So these are two of the main gods. I would say the two main gods uh, or, you know, demonic strongholds. But but they considered them gods in those time of the people of Canaan. And, uh, and so apparently Gideon's dad had these things. And so he says, go cut them down and build an altar to the Lord instead. And and after you cut down this Asher pole, use that as a, to uh, to do a second offering with a bull. I think it was a bull. And uh, so Gideon's got ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of the father's household, he did it at night. When the people wake up in the morning, the people of the city they are very angry that this had happened. They said, "Who did this?" As they you know, they found out Gideon had done it. And then the men of the city said to Joash, Gideon's father, bring out your son that will kill him. And even though it was Joash's altar to Baal, he defends his son. And he said, what are you? You're here to defend Baal? If Baal has any power, let him defend for himself. Um, and therefore, on that day, they named him Jerubbaal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him. So this is Gideon's new name, and uh, but we tend to call him Gideon, but he's called his new name a lot going forward. And so I guess, you know, life's going along a little normal for Gideon, but he's now this guy who has removed the altars of uh, the, the foreign gods from among his people. And then the Midians and Amalekites come in in order to do, you know, raise havoc as they often do, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. And he blows a trumpet to bring the Abiezrites together to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout uh, Manasseh, and they were also called. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, and they came to meet with him. But Gideon's still not quite sure, so he's asking for a sign. And so he's, this is the famous uh, fleece of wool on the threshing floor. He asks, if there is dew on the, on the fleece only, and the ground is dry, then I will know that you are with me. And so God does that. And Gideon's still not quite satisfied with this miracle, and so now he wants the opposite miracle to happen. Um, 
let it now be dry only on the fleece and let there be dew on all the ground. So God did that. And that's how chapter 6 ends. And then we move to chapter 7. So now Gideon's got a big army. And on the other side of the river, Midian's army is camped. And God said, you've got too big of an army. If, if I let you defeat them with this big army, your people are going to say, oh, we're a strong people and we're just more powerful than the Gideonites. And so he says, that's not what I'm doing here. And so I want you to allow the people, whoever's scared, let them go home. So of the 22,000, so 22,000 people returned. So there were 32,000 people there, 22,000 went home, and only 10,000 remained. And God says to Gideon, there's still too many people. So bring them down to the water, and I'll give you another test for them so we can kind of remove some of the people. So God says to separate them by the people who uh, basically get down on their knees to, to drink it straight out of like a dog would versus those who bring the water up to their mouth. And there's only 300 men that bring the water up to their mouth. And uh, so all those who got down like a dog to drink, which it's surprising to me that most of the people would have done it that way. I, I would think Today, most people would do it the way the 300 did. I don't know if we were influenced by the story or what's changed, but, uh, well, maybe I'm wrong about what most people do, but I think that's what most people would do today. Um, and so he says to Gideon, I will deliver you with just these 300 men. So Gideon sent everybody else home except for these 300. And God says, you can go down and go take them right now. I've given them into your hand. But if you're afraid, go with Pura, your servant, and you'll hear what they say, and afterwards you'll you'll be strengthened. So he went down with Pura, and they kind of spied and listened to what was going on. And the Midians and the Amalekites uh, were all lying in the valley. They were as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number. And they heard a, a man telling another man about a dream he had. He said he saw a loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so the tent lay flat and his friend said it's nothing less than the sword of Gideon the son of Joash a man of Israel God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand so Gideon heard this dream and its interpretation and he bowed and worshiped that God was affecting the hearts and minds of the people that they were about to attack so they're in much greater number but God had made them scared of this tiny group of 300 men. So Gideon comes, gets all his men to wake up and says, the Lord's given us this camp into our hands. And so we're going to divide our 300 men into three groups. We're going to get torches and we're going to get trumpets and we're just going to make a loud racket all around the people. And so they will go and do that, and it causes confusion among the Midian. So they kind of surround this the, the people with this small group of people, but they start smashing uh, pitchers and, and yelling out and blowing trumpets, and they're yelling out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each stood in his place around the army, and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. And they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another. So the, the army starts killing each other. Instead of Gideon's army having to do it, they start destroying themselves. And once this happens, uh, they call out for the men of Naphtali and Asher and Manasseh, and then they pursue the Midianites as they're running away. And so they're pursuing, and they call the men of Ephraim to help, and they, they capture the two leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and they, they kill them, basically. And then we'll move on to chapter 8.
So chapter 8 begins with Ephraim being upset that they weren't involved in the earlier part of the battles and and uh, um, Gideon says you're involved in the most important part you helped con- you know, kill the two uh, kings where, where are you upset so then they settled down and the, the 300 men are still pursuing and they said to the men of Sukkoth after they crossed over a river Please give us loaves of bread to the people who are following me, for they're weary, and I'm pursuing Ziba and Zumana, the kings of Midian. So they haven't killed all the kings yet. And the, the uh, leaders of Sukkot said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zomuna already in your hands? What, what should we give bread to your army? So they refused to give them bread. And so Gideon's ticked off. He said, All right, when the Lord has given them in our hands, I will thrash your bodies with thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Then they go to Penuel, and the people of Penuel says the same thing. So it seems a bit bizarre that these people are are not helping, but they're not helping, and Gideon is ticked off. And so he says, I'm going to come back and tear down your tower. So they've already killed 120,000 men, but Ziba and Zalmunna still have 15,000. And then Gideon goes and defeats them. And it, it sort of reads like he's still only got the 300 men at this point, or at this point is back to 300 men. Uh, although it's not totally clear, so he might have more. It, certainly they wouldn't feed the 300. So after Gideon has crushed the defenders, he comes back and he's all about vengeance. He finds a, a, a boy from Sukkot. He, and he questions him, who are the leaders? He lists out 77 men who are the elders and leaders of Sukkot. And, uh, and he came to him and said, Behold, Ziba and Zalmunna, concerning whom you taunted me. Um, and he, he took the elders of the city, the thorns of the wilderness briars, and he disciplined the men of Sukkot with them. He tore down the towers of Penuel and killed the men of the city. So he was a very vengeful man. And so he's still got these two foreign kings, Ziba and Zamuna, there, and uh, <clears throat> apparently they killed his family. And uh, so um, Gideon tells his son, his young son, to kill them, but he's too scared. He's still young, and so the kings taunt him, and Gideon goes ahead and kills them himself. And the the people of Israel say, hey, basically, they don't use the word king, but basically be, be our king. Rule over us, both you and your son, and then after your son, his son. So it's basically establishing a monarchy is, is what they're willing to do at that point. And But Gideon says, no, the Lord will rule over you. So in certain things, the, the Gideon, you know, I don't, I don't, doesn't seem like it's of the Lord. Maybe it was, I, I don't know. This, uh, just retribution against the people of Israel, but um, you know maybe it was of the Lord, and their their people were just too hard against God and uh, who God was sending, and I don't know. But but at this point in this part of the story, Gideon is is very worshipful of God because he says, "No, I'm not establishing myself as king over you," because most men would would choose to become king over the people when it's offered like that. But Gideon says, the Lord will rule over you. But then he turns around and does something very much not according to God's will. So you see this tension always throughout. It's really in the heart of man everywhere to this day. But you you see it laid out in the scriptures. And so here, on one hand, he's saying, no, we're going to worship the Lord, follow the Lord. You're not going to follow me. But I do want all your earrings so I can make some something basically an idol out of gold so he makes this ephod and places it in his city oprah and and then israel 
played harlot to it and it became a snare for Gideon in his, in his household. So he has this great victory and then he turns away from God and, and does the thing that God said not to do. And, um, but they do have 40 years of peace because he, you know, God was merciful and did the thing that he said he would do. And so that's, that's the wonderful outcome of it. And then it kind of tells us the end of Gideon. He had a lot of wives, so he had 70 sons. And his concubine was in Shechem, also bore him a son and named him Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a ripe old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash. Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played harlot with the Baals and made Baal Bareth their god. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the household of Gideon in accord with all the good that he had done to Israel. So, same story starts to repeat itself. The people are blessed. They have, they have tremendous blessing. They turn away from God. They start worshiping other gods. And so we can guess what's going to happen next. And we'll pick up on that tomorrow. God bless you.